0: Today, Uh, In it, he says, I do not find you praiseworthy. And it's interesting because elsewhere, Paul is prepared to praise this quite sinful and broken church, or should I just say church. Uh, It is a distinct movement that Paul is making towards the Corinthian church today in saying, I do not find you praiseworthy. These are significant words from someone with apostolic authority who has been taught by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, one of the reasons I've asked if I could do the Bible reading is I wanted to address this question before we read the passage. Why is Paul pumped about this issue that we're going to explore today? Why does it matter deeply what we're going to be talking about at the Lord's Table? Why is this of such significance and concern to the to the Apostle Paul? Well, to help us give us context before we open that passage, I've got five verses. Uh, If you're familiar in the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, the night before he was arrested, in John chapter 17, he prayed for this church. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. He says he begins by praying for himself with the Lord. He then moves on in the middle of chapter 17 to pray for the disciples gathered with him. And then he prays for, uh, not these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is his church. This is anchor church. This is Every disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanted to. Why is Paul so pumped about this issue? I'm going to read this passage and then we'll begin our word to help us get our head around why this matters. So Jesus Christ prayed to the Father the night before he was arrested in John, and I'll read. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me. that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. What is the Lord Jesus Christ praying for his church across to the last day on the night before he was arrested. That they know the love of the Father. And that they are one. That they are lovingly one body. That's what Jesus is praying the night before his crucifixion. Right? So Paul understands this ministry as we go, and I'm mean going to mention places like Ephesians 3:10 today. Uh, the centrality of of the calling of the church that follows the Lord Jesus Christ is that we be one. It's not a small issue. Our unity is not a small issue and it is expressed at the Lord's table. And I think we lose sight in our culture, our individualistic Western culture. I don't pretend to be an expert of uh, culture here at Minlinton. I grew up in a small town for a number of years that had 300 people. Uh, No police station, no high school. used to catch a bus 70 kilometres to get to high school and 70 kilometres back. So I might understand something of country life. But certainly in Adelaide, we are increasingly an individualistic and divided culture. Increasingly. And the church is the great antidote to that. How is that individualism expressed? Well, brothers and sisters, um, if a visitor was to come into this church today, this morning, walks in... Uh, how would they determine, you think, the spiritual health and vitality of this church? The welcome, potentially? We love one another, we love one another would be right. With an answer. Do you know what um, surveys reveal? Uh, how clean the toilets are? Access to parking and the quality of the kids' programs. The top three things people look for in assessing whether they should attend a church or not. What is expressed in that stat? Church is about me. Church is about I have a set of needs that I need met before I will attend that church. Today, Paul will call out that kind of attitude in God's people. He has, calls out a behaviour that has at its root implications for us today as the body of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not surprising that he directs his attention to the Lord's table to bring this out. Uh, the Lord's table or communion was the very centre of the early church's corporate gatherings. It was the high point of the service. And so what would happen in that revealed a lot about the nature and the character, the spiritual temperature of the church. Uh, they would not look like how we do communion today and how we will do communion today. There is, And how we do communion at Anchor as well. Uh, they would have a feast of sorts. There would be lots of food, lots of wine. Uh, the appropriate person would say uh, the words, remembering Christ's death on the cross so that people could live joyfully. Uh, the gospel uh, would be celebrated and then they would take a meal, a proper meal together. And what we do today is quite different in its appearance of that. But what Paul diagnoses here is being made apparent in their Lord's table, in their communion, and of great concern to him, of something that has deep gospel implications for him, is not revealed in how we do the Lord's table. So we can't do a like for like today. We acknowledge that how they celebrated had a very different shape to how we celebrate it. Therefore, what they celebrated or how they celebrated revealed something different than how we do it. But I think the same problem Paul diagnoses in this passage as a passage of correction today can be made apparent in other aspects of our life. And I want to draw that out of the passage because it is always for the joy of God's people that we obey God's word. One of the great lies of culture is that obedience to God's word is somehow robbing you of your joy. Whereas the testimony of Scripture is always that joy is found in obedience and conformity to God's word. So when we see a word of correction, like we encounter today, we understand that word of correction is for the joy of God's people and we grab onto it with both hands. as an expression of our faith that Christ is for us in ways that we are not for ourselves. The beauty, God gets the glory. He gives us his joy. So I'll read our passage, we'll pray, and then we're going to unpack this passage together, this word of correction Paul has. We are 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. Let's pray, let's read. Paul writes, (coughs) But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we read uh, quite a heavy word this morning and we know that your warnings are for our joy and that there is even grace in this passage, Though that you are uh, warning and calling us to self-examination so that uh, we would be righteous, declared righteous on the day of judgment so we can live confidently, knowing that the gospel has penetrated at the deepest level into our soul. Father, there is so much here. We, I pray that you give me clarity, Uh, and wisdom to preach your word uh, in accordance with your will. And it just doesn't evaporate into the air, Father, but your your word is active and living and will take deep root in each of us this morning, myself included. Uh, Father, you are good and you are gracious to give us these instructions. And Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the incredible love, grace and mercy we receive in his name as your adopted children. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so let's take a quick look. I understand you've been travelling uh, through the book of Corinthians for some time. Uh, you may be well aware of the, of the context. I expect you are if you're regularly going through this series. Uh, but just briefly, I just want to say uh, this is a church that struggles with pride. This is a church that struggles with pride. We have the spiritually known as the pneumaticoi, uh, and they feel like they're the super spiritually gifted participants in the church. Uh, And Paul will soon be addressing them. Uh, But there is also a different category of pride functioning in this church. Uh, It is those who have recently become rich. Corinth was a town where you could go as a former slave or someone down on their luck, and it was such a trading uh, city and strategically located, that a lot of formerly broke people made a lot of money. And what happens often when people make a lot of money what my grandma used to call the new rich. Uh, When people become new rich, they often experience a rush of pride in their possessions, a pride in their money. They have a new identity as wealthy people. They have now climbed up the rungs and see those on the rungs below them as below them. And what we see at this table, what Paul has outlined, is that in this hall, as as this church would gather, as this church would come to celebrate the high point of uh, their, their, their corporate gathering on a Sunday morning or whatever time they were doing it, uh, they've divided the church with this attitude. The structure of the buildings, there was, there was a big central hall and the atriums to the side, little rooms around the side. And so there'd be this table in the centre, overflowing with food, overflowing with fine wine. And here, the new rich, the, those self-diagnosed as the elite of the church, would gather and feast. There would be a display of gluttony, and there would be a display of alcohol abuse, as some people were getting drunk. Then, off to the sides in the atriums would sit the poor people, and they're they're drinking like, you know, uh, soda water, and, and the food they're eating is basically a cheese sandwich, right? And so they're divided. And what they have said, considering that the Lord has prayed on the night before His arrest that they be one as the Father and the Son are one. Is they brought in categories from the world and they've established an elite within the church on account of their bank balances and pushed those without money into the atriums and the places of little. Paul looks upon this scene and he's getting reports of this, right? He could be in Ephesus, wherever he is. He's like getting reports that this is, they're becoming famous for this. And don't think this isn't alive. And well, I know of a church network where if you tithed over 100,000 a year, you got a special badge that you got to wear to church and a special place in the gathering you got to sit. I've, heard, I've never been to that church. I've heard reports of this. This kind of behaviour is like spreads. The, the news of it spreads. And Paul's been instructed from the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be one. John 13, by your love for one another the world would know you are my disciples. What are they being known for? Paul writes in Ephesians 3.10. This is the vision statement of Anchor Church, by the way. Ephesians 3.10. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Are you familiar with this verse? What Paul is saying in Ephesians 2. Through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that which was near and that which was far have been brought together together into one new people those who were formerly enemies and despised one another are now brothers and sisters solely through the the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in his gospel and what is in God is proclaiming to creation that through the power of his son and through the display of the reconciliation of that which cannot be reconciled through the world the wisdom of God is revealed Are you aware? So this is how it looks for us at Anchor Church. I had someone observe. We had a very wealthy man sitting in a pew, and right next to him, a guy who's virtually homeless. And someone said, I know those two men. How are they sitting next to each other? They both believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you aware that in this gathering here, if I walked out onto that street, And I look up there and I look around. What am I looking at when I look in here? A display of the manifold wisdom of God. It is nothing less than that, brothers and sisters, that you are doing this morning. What a calling you have. You are the display of God's wisdom in your unity around Christ. So how shocking is it? if we divide the body along worldly categories? I don't see evidence of that among you. But how shocking would it be if I'm a young man and I'm living in the place of the internet, like social media, and all I'm seeing is anger across generations from racism that occurred three generations ago and and being called into a divided life. Or those who are wealthy now despise those who are poor. Or whatever hate that I am encountering, because we are becoming an increasingly divided world, whatever hate I see displayed as now a virtue, hate is now a virtue in our culture. And I walk in here looking for the peace and the rest of the Lord Jesus Christ and I encounter people who don't like each other. What a tragedy that would be. Would I be a young man who found the gospel here? It is significant, and I just want to spend time here. Your love for one another is the most powerful communication of the gospel in in this town must need the explanation of the gospel. You don't just love people without words. There has to be an understanding of why you love another communicated. But understand this. Intellectual agreement alone, without as Jesus says in John 13, your love for one another, declaring to the world you are my disciples. Just truth without grace. May not achieve anything in this street. Truth and grace. Truth and a community built on love is what is needed. Paul goes so far as to say this feast is not communion. Let's let's dwell on how serious this is. It is a despising of God's church. Now, they've done the... like. There's no... Oh, they're not talking about Jesus. They've done all the rituals side of communion so the form is there like the the kind of the shape or the kind of those things are there he's describing this as a humiliation of those who have humiliating those who do not have and in their humiliating of or of those on the edges paul says it is nothing less than a despising of god's church Paul says, This is nothing less than revealing who has the approval of God in this church and who does not. We're pushing him in deep into the gospel here. And I, I just, if I had long hair, I'd be pulling out the amount of people I encounter who can articulate brilliantly biblical truths. I see no evidence of it in their life. That's why we need these divisions revealed. Who gets the love of God in their life and who understands it but doesn't get it? If we want to take the spiritual temper of a church, the place we look is to see who is dining or eating with who. Who is eating with who? Like I said, the structure of how they celebrated the Lord's table does not allow for the divisions, how we celebrate it, does not allow for divisions to be revealed. Uh, we, the cups and the bread are going to go out today and nobody observing from the street would be able to observe that there were divisions if they existed within the church. Everybody takes it. It's just how we do it. It's how we do it at Anchor 2. But here's my challenge. Does your table reveal that you are one in Christ with the men and women who are gathered here today? Does who gets invited to your table reveal that the blood of Christ is bringing together enemies into a new people? Does your table reveal that the world's divisions and categories are not upheld in your life or are? Again, who you share your life with, and and I want to drill in, we see this all the time across scripture, Brothers and sisters, who you are share in your table with publicly in this town is of eternal significance. Are all welcome in the name of Christ or just some? For people to see love in your life based solely on the basis of Jesus Christ where love should not be possible is a thing of such rare beauty. It is a powerful testimony. As I said, we are living in a world where everybody is encouraged to separate themselves from anybody who disagrees with them. But that is not an option for those who have built their lives on the foundation of Christ Jesus. He, he who gave his life so that those who were rebelling against him could live is not honoured when we help, withhold our bread from those who are not like us. Paul reminds the Corinthian church of this, of the first communion message delivered by Christ the night he was betrayed, in verses 23 to 26. He writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So this is the correct transmission of truth. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What's Paul drawing from this? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we are to become partakers of in his divine nature to Peter, is the one who left the glories and comforts of heaven to give his very body and spill his very blood for the people who were at that point rebelling against him. The love of Christ which is poured into your heart, Romans 5, is a love that is, is other-directed. It is a giving, self-sacrificing love that you are called into. And we honour our Saviour by the sharing of what we have, even with those who may despise us. Maybe particularly by those who despise us, rather than hoarding it, or only sharing it with those who are somehow more approved by us rather than those who are just approved by God. (coughs) Have we been purchased out of that life and into this one or have we not? How we interact around the table reveals this. Paul writes in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. To eat at the Lord's table in a way that recognises divisions of the world, according to the way the world divides, is to be guilty of despising God's church. That doesn't have to be along financial lines, it could be along education levels, it could be along ethnicity, it could be along just social skills. Uh, particularly, I observe increasingly in Adelaide, it is along age brackets. Uh, the young often don't want to associate with those who are older, as though they have nothing that they could learn or benefit from that interaction. But I want to say to that, and I will be saying to them, when you do this, you are despising God's church. And it will bring God's discipline into your life. Paul says it will bring God's discipline into your life. And that not just discipline, that Christians have died from this, and that Christians have gotten sick from this. All for the purpose of correcting. It's not judgment. It's so that those who are dividing or despising God's church will be corrected and brought into the or refreshed in the love of God, overflowing into the love of neighbour. This is not punitive. This is discipline, not judgment. People are dying and people are being sick in this church so that they can be redeemed. God's at work redeeming in this situation. He's not ready to judge. But why so much discipline? Why such a focus from the Lord Jesus Christ in disciplining quite hard this issue? Well, because the proclam- nothing less than the proclamation of the gospel is at stake. Nothing less than the proclamation of the gospel is at stake. John 13, by your love for one another, the world will know you are my disciples. We know across the book of John that signs were often the authentication of the message of, the early, of, of Jesus. He would heal and he would cast out demons and he would feed from bread and he would do all of these things. And he raised Lazarus. All the authentications of his gospel message. Brothers and sisters, what is the miracle that authenticates the gospel you preach in these streets? Your love for one another. That is the authenticating miracle by your love for one another, the world will know you are my disciples. The authenticating miracle that accompanies your message where you work, where you swim, where you fish, where you hike is the display of your love for the disciples of Christ. Christ has to discipline us in this matter because if he doesn't, and we pursue only self-interested love. We are powerless and empty in this culture. And his church is weak. And if Christ is, and the Father have like predestined and preordained this plan of redemption, then we must be conformed to the love of Christ for each other into his body. He must. We must want that. This isn't something we resent. It's something we grab onto. But if we are worried, how do we avoid avoid God's discipline for us living ungospel lives? How do we avoid it? And Paul says in verse 31, If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Would it be that we don't judge ourselves by our intentions but by our actions? What do you think Paul means by judging ourselves truly? I pass because I would like to invite more people into my life but I'm too busy. That's not judging myself truly. I love those people over there that I never ever speak to but there's always a complicating factor around it so I don't do it but I give myself a pass because I would like to do it. Would it be that we judge ourselves truly by what we do and not what we think we would like maybe one day possibly in a perfect environment to do? Let's examine ourselves truly right here as Paul in God's scripture asks us to do. Friends, do you only invite friends or family into your home? we are to judge ourselves truly, we would see that that is just an expression of self-love and has nothing to do with the love of Christ. Friends, do we only invite people we find entertaining or offer the right connections? Jesus tells us that even tax collectors do that. Friends, do we invite people who are awkward or make our lives more difficult into our lives because they confess Christ? Does not the answer have to be yes? Even if they have wronged us and repented, the answer has to be yes. If Christ is the beating heart at the centre of your life, if he is truly a above you in all things, if you no longer live, but Christ lives in you, surely the answer is yes. So we need to do, if you accept that as true, if the gospel is cutting away all self-interest and self-love, surely we can do something to organize ourselves, ourselves spiritually to welcome all people around the Lord's table and around our tables, We just don't float into anything. We organise and think through what this looks like or we'll just end up with intentions and no actions. And Paul writes, this is how he finishes, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgement. What is Paul saying? Do not let... Your felt needs, in this case hunger, interfere with your God appointed task of proclaiming the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your life. He's applying it to the situation of people overeating and taking too much food at the Lord's table. But the simple principle we see here is, brothers and sisters, hear me if I it, just as you leave today, dwell, reflect on this truth. Do not be captured and controlled by the flesh. Do not be captured and controlled by your felt needs in a way that has you denying the love of Christ for all people. Because that's the great trap you, you face every day in our culture where power is found in doing precisely this. But If we're going to be the light of the world, a city on a hill, aren't, don't we have to be different? Don't we, aren't we the people who find the strength in Christ and through the purpose and the promises of the resurrection, the ability to deny our felt needs for the glory of God. Knowing that our joy is found in that too. That's faith. We deny our felt needs. It should go without saying that if we trust in the glory of a crucified, resurrected and reigning in glory, Jesus Christ, Why would we let our felt needs say something untrue about the supreme worth of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are hungry, eat at home. Prepare yourself in such a way that you honour Christ in this church. If you are late to church, this is the principle, sort out your priorities. If you think wandering in late doesn't communicate something about how non-Christians perceive how you value the Lord Jesus Christ, you're mistaken. We don't let our felt needs dictate to us what the shape of our gospel-centred lives are. We overcome them trusting that Jesus is better than sleeping in, that Jesus is better than having too much food, that Jesus is better than being socially comfortable all the time. When we do this, and we're, we're winding up. As I started and I said that joy is found in obedience to Christ, it's not obedience or joy, they're the same thing. It is true that we reveal to the world the glory and the goodness of of God it's right across the New Testament the unity of the church in every book of the New Testament is a powerful display of the gospel of Christ but I want to look inwards a bit do you not know in these things how much you are proclaiming the gospel to one another picture what should be happening at the Lord's table Picture what should be happening in the body of Christ and imagine the joy this life looks like. Imagine sitting at a table over there and old enemies of generations standing in the community are sitting there and laughing together because they are perfectly reconciled through the blood of Christ. Do you know what a testimony that is to you to see that? I need to see that. I need to live that. Or how about this? To feel the forgiving um, embrace of someone that you have wronged. To be able to look them in their eye and know that they are not nurturing an old grudge against you but have completely forgiven you. And that is spiritual nourishment right there. That's transforming. That's the gospel display I need and you need. Or am I the only one who's wronged anyone? Or watching the youth joyfully interact with the elderly. Finding value and dignity in everybody is part of Christ. Or maybe in another culture it might be to see men giving great honour to the women for their inherent godliness and their work around the church. Not so much I'm suspecting, maybe I'm wrong, the problem here. I'll tell you what's a big problem in Adelaide at the moment. How about women giving great honour to the men for their inherent godliness and their work? These things are usually in a flux, right? What about coming to church and seeing marriages sustained and built on grace? What about coming to church and seeing those who are suffering being helped and aided by those with the means to do so? What about coming to church and seeing those who have plenty heaping up a bounty on the plates who have nothing, of those who have nothing? What about coming to church and seeing new life and seeing the misery of those fresh from a broken world being daily replaced and built with the freedom and the joy of Christ dwelling in them because they heard the gospel and saw the gospel embodied here. I need that and you need that. We don't just come to sing some songs. That's a beautiful, incredible thing. We don't just come to hear the word preached that is a beautiful and necessary thing we come to know the love of Christ evident in the lives of one another and this is what paul is defending and longing to see around the lord's table in corinth that kind of christ love and this is what we should long to see around the lord's table here And what we should long to see in the tables in your home. If I tell you this, is that anybody who walked in off that street and walked into this church and saw even a hint of the things I have just been talking about would want to know more about Jesus Christ. They would want to know something about the lives of the transformed joy before them. And one day when they give their testimony, they would say, I came here because this is a a church that the gospel has penetrated into the very depth of its soul. So brothers and sisters, Paul has, for our joy, given us a corrective word here. And I don't know the depth that this word is needed here or if it's not needed at all. I know it's needed in my life and I know it's needed in the life of the church where I'm pastoring. My simple encouragement to you is love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love each one of the people sitting here this morning as you love yourself, the Lord of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, you have promised us so much in the gospel and we can get caught up in thinking that it's entirely... Judgment, But there is a beauty and there is a joy found in the gospel for us today as a people, not just as individuals, Lord. Father, would you encourage us and grow us to be more like Christ in every way. That we would indeed not just think Christ is a good idea, but seek to become like him and practice and build our lives in such a way people would know that we are Christ's disciples. Love is a community project, Father. Would you empower this church through your spirit, building truth and grace into the very fabric of the life of this community in a way that the world cannot even comprehend. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.